Gracious God and Father, come before you in the name of the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for salvation, which belongs to our God. There is no God like you. You, We thank you for your word, which documents your faithfulness through from generation to generation. We thank you because it reveals your character, which is unparalleled. Uh, Father God, we just want to esteem you this morning. Uh, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is the second person of the Godhead, come down, taken on a body, becoming our faithful high priest, able to sympathize with us as we navigate and walk through many dangers, toils, and snares. We thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for taking up residence in us. For the disciples had Jesus tangibly, physically with them. And the Lord Jesus says, when I leave, I will send you another just like me, not second class, not a downgrade, not a sort of kinda, one just like me. And he will be in you and he will be with you. And so, Father, we just thank you for Christ and the Holy Spirit. So, as we dive into your word, uh, make the most of it for the sake of your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you have a Bible, I'm going to leverage a passage of scripture in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to read it and then start walking through it. Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to look at 12 to 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, my testimony is forever connected to my father who led me to the Lord Jesus Christ as a young boy. A female named Wendy and a guy named Rich. My father raised me in Christ, and he's the one that kind of led me into a relationship with the Lord Jesus. But there's a gap between when I first got saved and when I first got serious. There's a chasm between when I confessed Christ and when I began to look like I had been conformed or was being conformed to Christ. Wasn't until one day when I was living foul, totally contradictory to the Christian confession that I had made, that I ran into a woman named Wendy at work. Wendy was a Christian. The thing about it is she looked like one. At the time, I was being drawn back to Christ. And so I was telling people, I'm a Christian too. They said, you're not a Christian. I said, I am a Christian. They said, no, you're not a Christian. They said, Wendy, she's a Christian. <laughs> you're not a Christian. 
I said, I am a Christian. I'm just not living like one. They said, okay, well then I'm a Christian too. It was at that moment I realized that if I wanted them to believe me, I had to live it. Then I met a guy named Rich. Rich was a dude I used to get high with. <laughs> All we did was get high with other people who like to get high. <laughs> Can we keep it real this morning? One day, Rich came out with a dashiki on. That's an African garb. He had on a kufi because he had turned into the nation of Islam. He had on some straight leg Levi jeans and a pair of shell toe adidas that was back when a group named run dmc had popularized my adidas walk through closet doors y'all too young for that one <laughs> when i saw rich i said from a distance i can see that rich is proud of his religion the kufi told me rich is proud of his ethnicity the dashiki told me he's proud of his subculture, his street culture. The Adidas told me I said, man, that was the first picture I had of a person who what was in them screamed and jumped off them so that you could see what was in them from a distance without them opening their mouth. In other words, both Wendy and rich were my introduction to a faith that is both visible and a faith that is credible. This is what the Christian life must be, both visible and credible. Far back as we know, this has been the concern of real Christians. Robert Murray McShane, 19th century evangelist, evangelical pastor says it's not great talents that God blesses so much as grace likeness to Jesus go further back Ignatius one of the first century church fathers he said I wish not merely to be called Christian but also to be Christian <laughs> in other words nothing will discredit your claim to be a Christian your call to be a Christian then you're not looking like the one that you say you want to be like. This is, goes all the way back to the discrepancy that a man by the name of Frederick Douglass had. Frederick Douglass, 1800s, escaped slavery. He spent his life as a slave and then liberated as a slave fighting slavery. And he had a problem because in his day, his the, the context was Christian, at least in claim. But when he looked around, he did not see Christianity in the, in the daily routines of life. From his own autobiography, let me say this. This is not a shot at our country. This is a shot at false Christianity. Listen to what he says. What I have said, which was his beef, his, his excoriation of Christianity in the country. He said, what I'm talking about against this religion, I mean strictly to apply to the slaveholding religion of this land with no possible reference to Christianity proper. For between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. 
so wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. To be the friend of the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. He went on to say, I love the pure, peaceable, impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. In other words, what he was saying was your Christianity is not credible and your claim to know Christ is not visible. <laughs> and so today I have an agenda and that is to advocate for us, to advertise for us the call to not only have the life of Christ, but to have the look of Christ. There's a popular saying, if you were in a court and you were being convicted of the crime of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? <laughs> well, today, this is what we want to do. So what does Christianity look like? I looked at Rich. I said, man, we don't have a piece of clothing that we could wear to tell you what my faith is. And then the Bible turned me to this passage, Colossians chapter 3, which tells you that there's some clothes you can put on so that you not only have the life of Christ, but you also walk the streets with the look of Christ. And so when Christ is your life, <laughs> you will be marked by a character which is seen in you. His character is seen in you. His peace will govern you. His word will consume you. His glory and honor will drive you. When Christ is your life, his character is seen in you. His agenda of peace will govern you. His word will consume you. His glory and his honor will drive you. Let's look at this text. The text is going to start off, put on then. Any student of scripture would know, what do you mean then? What happened before this? If you were to go all the way to chapter 3, chapter 3 begins what Christians would say are the imperatives. Just to use some theological language, there are indicatives, indicatives of things that are just true. Again, I have five dollars. That's an indicative, right? Imperatives, right? And so if what's true is I have five dollars, you can say as an imperative, give it to me. <laughs> because it's true, you have it. Imperative, give it. Well, that's what the Bible says. Everything that the Christian is told that they must do is usually told after they tell you what in Christ is true. What is true? He says, if you've been raised with Christ, dot, dot, dot. Okay, it's true. I've been raised with Christ. That's just shorthand for saying I have his life. Back in those days, when you wanted to become a Christian, you didn't walk the aisle. You went down into the water. The walking of the aisle today for us is I got saved, I went up. For them, it was I got saved, I went down. <laughs> and when I came up, I came up a new person identified with those who known for Christ. Well, he says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek him, be about him, make him your whole world. That's what verses one to four is all about in Colossians. And then he goes on and he says, because Christ has a way of like calling you to put some stuff off 
and then to put some stuff on. He wants you to shed the stuff that's contrary to him, and he wants you to walk in the stuff that's consistent with him. So he talks about putting off the vices that used to mark a society of people who don't know him. By the time we come here, he says, and so after you take off your old self, put on this new self, this new self. And so that's where we are right now. Put on. Put on then what Christ would wear. <laughs> Put on some moral excellence. Someone has rightly said, you could be moral and not be a Christian, but you can't be Christian and not be moral. This is the uniform. This is the jersey. <laughs> Yesterday, I didn't know, forgive me, Cedarville's jersey. So I went up on some basketball players. I said, I heard y'all won. <laughs> they said, wrong team. We lost. <clears throat> So the Bible makes clear, I can tell who you are. Are you the winners or you the losers by your jersey? The Bible says you are true winners because you are in Christ. Now, rock the uniform. Put on the royal attire. And the royal attire is worn by people who are his. And so he starts off by saying, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This verse starts with a description of what used to be Israel language. Israel used to be the ones that God called exclusively his chosen ones, his holy ones, his beloved ones. Let me give you a couple of verses to sort of bolster this. Psalm 147.20, he has dealt thus with any other. He has not dealt thus with any other nation like Israel. Deuteronomy 7, 6, 8. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possessions out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Deuteronomy 14, 2. This is just for you who you may be scribbling some notes down. You may want to see that what he says to Israel, he's about to say to these people who've been raised with him. Again, we're going to talk about it. Deuteronomy 14, 2. You are a holy, a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Deuteronomy 26, 18 and 19. The Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possessions as he has promised you. He will set you in praise and in fame and in high honor above all the nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. Psalm 135.4, the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. All these are verses that the Israelite would have said he's talking to us. Chosen, holy, beloved, that's us. And guess what? Outsiders would have said, how can I get your God to talk about me the way he's talking about you? And so here in the New Testament, Paul tells anybody that's in Christ, oh, he talks about you the way he talked about them. And so he's saying this to you today. You're, you're special. And today, let's just park right there and let you know that if you're in Christ, Heaven looks down at you and says, my special ones. I guarantee you, if the Jones were to go to a class filled with kids, he would have a general good posture to all the kids. But when his kids come out, 
there would be a unique kind of love. And the Bible says, the earth is mine. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But then he looks at people who are in Christ and he says, but you are a treasured possession. You are my holy ones. You are my beloved ones. He starts off and says, if you have that, then let's proceed with the conversation. Those of you that have the character of Christ, you have it because you have the life of Christ. So put on then compassionate hearts. The life of Christ leads to the look of Christ. Everything we're about to see, Jesus Christ exemplified. So what he's saying is you should look. There was a slang term back in the day, stunting like my daddy, right? <laughs> to stunt like your daddy meant I'm going to do like my daddy did. If my daddy was shining, I'm a shine. If my daddy was this, I'm a that, right? So here he's saying like Christ, he says, put on compassionate hearts. Compassion is a heart that's tender toward someone of lower estate, I mean, Jesus was the type he would go and feed 5,000, and that was primarily a Jewish context. And you, okay, he loves Jews. He's a Jew. He likes Jews. He came to Jews. When he sent people on mission, he says, don't go to anyone except the lost children of Israel. So, of course, he's going to feed them. But then the Bible says he also fed 4,000, and that was in a Gentile territory. Jesus is the type to turn water to wine because of the woman who nursed him. He also reattached the ear of a man who came to arrest him. <laughs> oh, the Bible says that he went to Lazarus to raise him from the dead. And the Bible says because he loved him. The Bible makes it clear that he raised a widow in a place called Nain who he didn't know. And look what the Bible says about that. It says, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't weep. <laughs> And then he raised her son from the dead. All I'm saying here is the Lord Jesus is the type to be compassionate. He says, put on compassionate hearts. Have a heart that looks at people of lower estate and have a good, sweet disposition toward them. Put on compassion. Then he says, put on kindness. Kindness is the concrete act that flows out of the compassionate heart. <laughs> it's the opposite of harshness. It's the opposite of being mean. You know how people are in fast food restaurants except Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I was in the hood. I saw a Chick-fil-A and they were even nice. I was like, Yo, even the hood Chick-fil-A. Now, first of all, there's not too many hood Chick-fil-A's, but there was a, it was right on the outskirts, right there on the line, like hood Chick-fil-A. And no matter what you do, they're nice. Just put on kindness, concrete acts and demonstrations of a compassionate heart. This was the Lord Jesus. He says, put on humility. Humility. If kindness is being like Christ toward others, humility is being like Christ to yourself. What about Christ? Humility. You know that classic passage if you know the Bible. Philippians chapter 2, he was God. And if we, you and I were God, we would flex like we're God. But the Bible says in Philippians 2 that he was God, but he did not regard equality with God a thing to cash in on. You, maybe you've seen that movie, Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty is all about a guy who got God's powers and used it for himself, right? So he wouldn't be in traffic. 
so that his girl would have the kind of figure that he wants her to have, so that the moon would come closer so he'd have a candlelight dinner by the moonlight. He was wrecking the whole world because he was using the godness for himself. But the Lord Jesus, who is God, did not use his godness for himself. He fed others, and yet he was hungry. He helped others, and yet he left himself to the position where God had to help him. Put on humility. I like in John chapter 13, when Jesus was headed to the cross, he washed the feet of the disciples, which was the thing that the lowest person on the totem pole would do. And so he does it. And it says he took off his robe. You know the robe they're going to cast lots for, the rabbi robe. He took off his rabbi robe. He put on the servant's towel and he washed their feet. When he got up, he says, so you see what I did? They said, yes, teacher and Lord. Then Jesus flipped it. Right. And if I'm your Lord and teacher, then I want you to follow my example. We're just talking about put on the kind of humility that the Lord Jesus had. Mark chapter 10, the Bible says, Jesus says, for the son of man didn't come to serve, but to, didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom. Son of man is really a title that means I'm king. But when he came, he says, I didn't come to walk in that kingness. I came to walk in my servantness, put on humility, put on meekness. Meekness is all your power, all your flex under control. It's strength that's submitted to your compassion and your kindness. <laughs> it's all your abilities tucked behind a wall of compassion and kindness. This was not a virtue in the first century. It's almost like today when people study our days, they'll say helping the police solve crimes was not a virtue. <laughs> That's called snitching. <laughs> That's a bad thing. <laughs> Back then, humility or meekness was a bad thing. It was weakness. It was Christianity that made meekness something to, 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 to flaunt, to show off. Because we all know what it's like to, to not take mess. I'm not, a, I'm not a doormat. There's a song that was swirling among Christian circles called Try Jesus. Perhaps you heard of it. It was a black dude. And again, I guess black didn't matter. But in my mind, when I think about his voice, I'm like, okay, he black. <laughs> so that's what happened. Because part of the thing that makes it flow into your system is the, the, the melody, the, the, the voice. And he had, a, he had a nice acoustic guitar. So he was like, bam, 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 bam. I was like, ooh, yeah. And then he started, he said, try Jesus. I said, oh, it's about Jesus too? Don't try me. I was like, yeah, that's right. Turn him from you to Jesus. And then he threw a monkey wrench. He said, try Jesus. Don't try me because I throw hands. <laughs> try Jesus. Don't try me because I fight. And what he was saying is, you better go to Jesus. <laughs> Don't come over here. Because I fight. Then he says, I know we're supposed to turn the other cheek. That's a part of the Bible that doesn't sit well with me. Try Jesus. Don't try me. Because I throw hands. <laughs> I know what he said about getting slapped, but touch me and mine. And we're going to have to scrap. Try Jesus. Don't try me. And Christians were sending it to me like, yeah, but you know, he got a point. I'm like, I know he got a point. <laughs> But that's us being us. 
That's not us being Jesus, which is why he says, you better go to Jesus if you want somebody who will turn the other cheek. You better go to Jesus if you want somebody who will take their strength and tuck it. Take their godness and tuck it. Take their all thatness and tuck it behind humility, behind meekness, behind compassion. I'm just saying, put on meekness. Then put on patience, bearing with one another. Patience is the capacity to bear injustice or injury without retaliation. Now, this is in the context of a new community of people who live in a society that's broken, that's marked by beefs, that's marked by friction, that's marked by factions. So again, Paul is writing and saying, the Lord Jesus had to create a family that was different than the block, that was different than the hood, that was different than your part of town where they all act contrary to the Christian way. Patience says that if me and you get together, I've got to be patient with you. And you've got to be patient with me. One person said it's not holding them to the standard of your strengths, but it's dealing with them according to their weakness. It's waiting for them to catch up to you rather than you being mad that they're not already. Imagine this here at the campus. Again, some time ago, as you know, there was a tension between the woke and the white. (laughs) Justice and those who said ain't nothing wrong. And there was a clash and people were separating churches and separating schools and leaving conventions and leaving churches. Why? Because they were like, it's been two years. You should have got it already. There were some of us that were saying, I am tired, but I will not quit. Patience. Patience. The Lord Jesus is said that he will not quarrel. He will not cry aloud. He will not bruise or read. <laughs> What I'm here to say is, then he goes on, the practical application of all that we just said, forbearing, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Of course, what's popular today, cancel culture, right? Again, you do something wrong, I cancel you. It's a wrap. Well, the Bible makes clear that forgiveness as Christ has forgiven you. See, it's one thing to say forgive people. It's another thing to say forgive them as Christ has forgiven you. (laughs) That messes everything up. (laughs) To forgive, yes. To forgive as Christ, oh, well, come on. Well, look, I'm only human. Well, that's why the Bible says if you've been raised with Christ, you've been given the life of Christ. If you've been given the life of Christ, you have the power to have the look of Christ. If you have the look of Christ, it's because you're living like Christ. And that's what this is. You're putting on having taken off the old you. Well, he goes on to say, and you can just put glaze all over this. Love. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The apostle John was called the the, the apostle of love. He just used to go around and say, brothers, love one another. Brothers, love one another. This is what the Christian is told. And then John says, and you can't say you love God who you don't see if you don't love your brother who you see every day. Again, this is all just the character of Christ seen in you and through you. You want to look like Jesus? Put his character on. 
Let this string of moral excellencies mark your life. Now, you don't just do it because you try to do it. You have to have his life pulsating through your veins. Now, this assumes that it's not just you, the isolated Christian, but that you hang around Christians. You turn spaces that are not Christian into Christian spaces. Not by turning them into churchy spaces, but turning them into spaces where these virtues start to mark the space. <laughs> so you get with people because we like it like this. Then you bring people who don't know it like this and you say, you should come in here because you like it like this. He goes on to say, in fact, verse 15, when Christ is your life, <laughs> not only do, is his character seen in you, but... His agenda of peace governs you. Look what the verse 15 says. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you will call in one body and be thankful. So when you see this, you may think, oh, I'm talking about the peace that Jesus gives me individually to help me because we're in an age where everybody needs therapy. <laughs> That's the motto now. Therapy, Jesus and therapy, and I'm not knocking therapy, and we do need therapy. You know why? Because of our lack of Jesus. <laughs> the reason why that's a popular slogan today, Jesus and therapy, because there's been too little Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus does give your mind stabilized and stability so that your mind would be at ease. Now, again, we live in a fallen world, and so there are times when people, because of chemical imbalances and other things, they need medication. But you know what Jesus has the ability to do? He has the ability to so set your mind at ease. He has the ability to so give you a vision of peace and what really matters that you find yourself again in a place where you say, man, he has kept me in perfect peace as my mind has been stayed on him. This is a controlling peace. The word here for rule is the word for umpire. The umpire is the one that calls the balls and strikes. The umpire is the one that helps the game to flow smoothly. He says, God has an agenda of peace. He's doing peace. <laughs> He's bringing about peace. It's shalom in the Hebrew. Shalom is comprehensive well-being. Listen, if you read your Bible, you will see two chapters of shalom. And then chapter three of Genesis is a fall. And that is the end of Shalom as we know it. From Genesis chapter 3 forward to Revelation, when Christ comes back, we're looking at the attempt to reclaim Shalom. In between that is God giving people a commercial of what Shalom should look like, which is what we're seeing here. Let Shalom, let the peace that is attached to and provided by Christ, govern your circles. In this case, it would be the church. Here, it would be the school. When you go home, it would be your home. In marriage, it would be your marriage. This is what he says. Let the fact that Christ wants harmony and unity and peace and not friction to rule you. Let it govern you. This is a controlling peace. This is a corporate peace. He says, because you were called into one body. See, this is not just individual peace. And it's a comforting peace, peace with God and peace with men. Then you see his holy word should consume you for the sake of time. Let's say the his word consumes you. 
He says, if you're a Christ, you're not just moral. If you're a Christ, you're not just peaceful. If you're in Christ, you're biblical. <laughs> you're scriptural. You like the word. You want the word. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He says, you should teach it. You should use it to admonish, meaning you should push back on things based on the word. He says, you should do it in all wisdom. You need the word of God to develop the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is the right application of the word of God. But you need the word of God in order to develop a wise reflex. He says, and then you should worship. So you need the word of God for the wisdom of God. You need the word of God for the worship of God. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, it was, uh, it was Charles Spurgeon, the preacher, who, who liked John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress. He said this. He says, man, you just read what he writes. Anything of his you'll see. That it's almost like reading the Bible itself. He has read it. He's saturated his soul in scripture. This man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere. His blood is bibbling. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text. His very soul is full of the word of God. I commend his example to you. And I commend it to you. Let Bible. Your generation has to reclaim Bible. Not to sling verses but to develop the Christian instinct to think like God, to sing to him correctly and to worship to him because he is your life and you want other people to be invited into that life. Lastly, this is what he says. When this life is in you and you begin to look like him, his glory and honor should drive you. 317. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's a famous quote from a man named Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper popularized the notion that there is not one square inch in all creation that the sovereign doesn't declare mine. What that means is that he wants the sacred stuff and the quote-unquote secular stuff. He wants to claim it and change it into his design for it. I did an album cover called When Sacred Meets Secular. It was all about when something that doesn't know Christ meets something that does know Christ, what will happen? Sometimes that thing will persecute the Christ. Sometimes it will bow to the Christ. You ought to go out these doors saying, what's it going to be? You're either going to persecute me because Christ is here or you're going to submit because Christ is here. You want to do it. And this means that whether you eat or drink, that means in the most mundane things, Jesus wants to be visible and therefore made credible or displayed as credible. If you're a bus driver, he wants to be seen. If you're a Bible teacher, he wants to be seen. If you're a pastor, he wants to be seen. If you become a policeman or woman, you, he wants to be seen. A seminarian, amen. He says, I'll take that. A veterinarian, he says, I'll take that. <laughs> We're just talking about him saying, I want it all. And so we started by saying, it's not great talents that God blesses. I'm coming in for a landing. It's likeness to Jesus. I wish not merely to be called Christian, but also to be Christian. 
Today, I just want to let you know that the world out here is slinging around Christian stuff. But often, they talk Christian, but they don't walk Christian. We would need this pulsating, governing, driving in order for the world to meet the people of God who show off the glory of God. So I conclude with the words of a man who's become one of my heroes and a, 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 a bishop from the 1800s, James W. Hood, another black man. I'll say it because I just want you to know he's black. <clears throat> no, so you can just appreciate that God's made contributions to your faith through a variety. He ends like this, and I'll end like this. It's 1800, so he's going to say a good man, but just say person, man and woman. A good man is a walking evidence, a walking monument of the divine character. The character of God is displayed in the good man's life. Well, how is it displayed? A good man loves his enemies. Bless them that curse them, does good to them that despitefully use them, persecute them, and say all manner of evil against them. He goes on boldly, determinedly, yet lovingly. He indicates his love for mankind and thus glorifies God. There is a glory revealed in such a character. Is not that a glorious character? It is glorious to see such men. Such a course of conduct is glory revealed in us. It is God's work within us. A man cannot do this unless he has God in him, unless he has the divine hand to lead him. If you have God's life in you, may God's look mark you. And if you have God's look marking you, it's because you've been living like the one who is the God who saved you. And so what I would commend you to do is if you're not a Christian in here consider starting with inviting Christ to come and be resident in you ask him let's bow our heads and close our eyes just ask him I'm hearing about a life and a people who look different than the ones around me I'm hearing about a way that's foreign to the places I'm normally going. I want to invite you in. I want you. I am a sinner. The world has a lot of needs. And I'm first in line to admit that I have sinned. I've fallen short. You have a standard and I don't meet it. You have rules and I break them. Forgive me for my sins. I heard that you sent your son. Lord Jesus, I heard that you died on the cross for sinners like me. I want to invite you to come in and apply your blood to my record. Cleanse me. Make me yours. And through the spirit of God, begin to conform me to that image. Father, we pray this for them and we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. You're dismissed.